And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive. I am your host, as always, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I'd like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to this very special Gaiden episode. And uh, we're not covering a piece of media today. Today, instead, we have a uh, uh, someone we've talked about a fair bit here on the podcast and to sit down with us for a little bit. We're sitting down with the creator of the indie uh, Gaikaiju comic, Stomped, Mr. Ross Radke. Ross, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, no problem. Uh, you know, it's it's funny. I um, Just as a little bit of background, I actually missed Stomped on the first uh, Kickstarter. And my uh, a good friend of mine, who is uh, uh, Big Five Army, is what he goes by, you know, on uh, on Twitter. Um, he uh, he sent me the he sent me a link to these. He's like, hey, you know, these these look right up your alley. And right during the time you uh, you know, I, I was able to reach out to you and and purchase them digitally, the first two issues, and uh, uh, you know, really really liked them. We covered them on uh, here on the podcast last year, and you know, we did the uh, I was part of the third issue Kickstarter, and then you were telling us that we've got the fourth issue Kickstarter coming up very soon as we're recording this. And uh, I, I, for one, am, am very excited about what's coming in the fourth issue of this uh, of this series. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. It's been a, a long time coming. <laughs> so, um, Ross, tell me a, a little bit about yourself and and your background. You know, what did uh, what where are you you know where where are you from? Where how how are you doing now? You know, what's what's going on? Yeah, I uh, I grew up uh, near Seattle, Washington, and I went to film school at Montana State University, and um, after graduating, I worked actually in retail for about 10 years. And the uh, say starting around 2015 was when I really started getting into comic books and um, started building my portfolio. I've been drawing my whole life and have always loved um, using art to tell stories. And so I kind of I kind of started getting really serious about about comics as a potential career path. And started taking my portfolio to uh, Emerald City Comic Con and Rose City Comic Con, and then um, at the end of 2019, I I was uh, working still uh, like 70 hour work weeks at Walmart and uh, doing that grind, and I knew I was never going to have time to finish any projects that I started. So I, uh, I decided to try to do something that was in an anthology format and see if I could reach out to other artists to collaborate with. So that was kind of where um, kind of Stomp started and why it, why it has the format that it does. Um, so then in 2020, I uh, did two Kickstarters for the first two issues and that were both, you know, moderately successful for, or modestly successful, I should say, for um, someone who's such a, a, a new creator uh, doing this for the first time. 
And then um, the issues three and four got delayed a year as I uh, had some other stuff I was working on in 2021. Um, but yeah, we successfully uh, raised funds for issue three earlier this year. And um, the fourth issue is the final anthology style issue that I had planned way back in 2019. Yes, very cool. And uh, uh, those who follow our Destruction Directive on YouTube know I did a, I did a quick unboxing of, of number three which uh, we're going to cover uh, in the next couple of months here. And uh, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's such a, such a, a neat and novel looking series, you know? So you said that you started, um, you know, really getting into comics as a career path in 2015. Were you into comics as a kid? Yeah, I, I wasn't a hardcore collector. Like I wasn't a weekend warrior, but I definitely always had comics growing up. Uh, I had a lot of, the Archie Ninja Turtles and some odd X-Men and Spider-Man here and there um, that, that I would read. And then when I was in high school, kind of around like the, um, the, the Bendis New Avengers and uh, Ultimate Spider-Man kind of era, that was when I started getting really um, more, more into comics as a fan and a reader. Uh, I was following both those series and then I also got into the Hellboy series as well around that time and continued being a, a big reader through college. Um, but really that first comic con that I went to 2015 is really when my eyes were open to just how huge and, and diverse and um, eclectic the comic book industry really is. And I really started to take a deep dive after that to try to catch up on things that I'd missed and discover things I'd never thought to read before. So. Yeah. And, and Emerald City, I've, I'm I'm a, I'm based on the East Coast, so you know our our big uh, con here in the Carolinas is uh, Heroes Con in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, of course, there's there's big cons down in Atlanta and Florida as well. But I've always heard good things about Emerald City Comic Con, and I have uh, some friends on the West Coast that that uh, that's kind of where their their primary loyalty lies on that that scene. Uh, let me let me flip the script a little bit here. So, how did you get interested in monsters? You know, I was a, I'm well documented as a, a monster fan from my childhood, but, uh, you know, not everyone gets into, gets into Daikaiju when they're a, a wee lad. So how about yourself? Yeah, it's funny. Um, monsters in a general sense. I mean, I know sometimes my mom will send me pictures of artwork I drew when I was, you know, a toddler, uh, and I was drawing monsters from that <laughs> as soon as I could <laughs> hold a pencil, I was, I was, or, or a marker. I was I was doodling creatures of all sorts, um, you know, mummies, ghosts, giant lizards, whatever. Um, so that's always been something that was like just just part of being a kid, like doodling on all my homework and getting in trouble from my teachers because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's more more creatures on my homework than than actual answers sometimes and. Um, <laughs> But in terms of like the the actual daikaiju genre, that's actually more recent for me. Um, uh, I've, I've always been aware of Godzilla and um, obviously like Power Rangers. I was the perfect mm -hmm. age when Power Rangers came to the states. Um, I can remember the the episode that introduced Lord Zed and the Green Ranger. Like me and a bunch of friends all went to a buddy's house and like we watched it live, and it was a really big deal. Um, so obviously that had a pretty big influence on me. Um, but like I hadn't actually, other than the 98 
you know, Hollywood Godzilla. Right. I hadn't really watched a lot of those type of films um, until I started planning Stomped, and I decided that if I was going to play in this genre, I really wanted to take a deep dive and and know what I was getting into and like really understand it from the the perspective of a diehard fan. So um, I think around that time too is uh, after the first couple issues came out, you had reached out to me. And I'd already started this journey of of watching all these films, and um, but then I started listening to your podcast as well, and that kind of mm-hmm. helped help guide me along the way. Well, I'm glad to uh, glad to be able to help out. I know I've I've been following you. you have a, a very long thread on Twitter of all your Daikaiju film thoughts as you've been watching through the uh, first. It was the Godzilla series, starting back with uh, with Gojira, and mm-hmm. I've been following that. It's always interesting. Again. Again, since since it's for me, it's been you know for most of my life that I can remember, it's always fascinating to get the the opinions and thoughts of someone who's who's new to the genre, right? And and I see that a little bit because I, I see it sometimes with my kids, but I also see it sometimes with with listeners, right? That they're like, oh, I had never given this much thought, or I hadn't watched one of these you know, a Godzilla movie since I was a kid. So it it, it is uh, it is really a, a fascinating genre that I think you know doesn't get. The, the the big giants, no pun intended, of the genre kind of dominated so much that it's hard to to think about it outside of those terms. That was one of the things that drew drew me in to Stomped is that it's such an original concept, even in the wake of like the MonsterVerse and Pacific Rim and you know other kaiju projects that have sprung up in the last decade or so. Stomped as a series uh, is is really especially this anthology format was was really interesting and unique to me. So how did Stomped kind of come about? What was the genesis of Stomped? Um, yeah, so the really the the start was Emerald City Comic Con every year does an art book called Monsters and Dames, mm. and so just just for fun, I drew and I did an illustration fitting that theme. Um, it wasn't submitted to the art book or anything. I just I just did it for fun of a of a young woman with pink hair and tattoos and then uh, behind her is a space needle with a big monster impaled on the top of the space needle and so i had originally just done that as like a one-off illustration but i kind of you know it sparked some ideas and i kind of rolled it around in my head for a few years i think i did that back in i think that was back in 2015 when i did that one um so it was gestating for a while as I was kind of doing other projects and working, um, you know, working my day job. And I kind of came up with this story for this character who was the only um, superhero, in quotations, uh, in this world that mm-hmm. was being attacked by giant monsters. And I I had an outline for, you know, something that I, I planned to do eventually that would be like a graphic novel or a miniseries. But like I mentioned earlier, I knew I was never going to be able to tackle something on my own of this length. So I thought it would be fun to put together an anthology and and reach out to other artists and kind of have it be sort of like a writing workshop for myself, where mm-hmm. I would write these stories that were in different little monster subgenres um, and have them all set in the same shared world, but have them each have a little different flavor of of um, types of stories that I thought would be fun to tell, and mm-hmm. um, so that's that that was the start. And the other thing is just you know financially and and where I was at in my life, like I couldn't bite off more than I could chew. 
So I decided to break up the anthology. I'd originally wrote, um, I'd written eight different stories, and mm-hmm. I decided to release them two at a time as sort of a double feature issue, right? And break it up that way. Yeah. Well, I can I can say that you know the story Blind Date in in issue one, which is story and art by you, and that introduces us to the character of Kim Corgan, who is, uh, she's she's to me such a such a such a great character because she's um she's so believable she's relatable right not just in her appearance because like you say she's the air quotes up to the mic superhero but she has a body like a normal woman right uh but she's also just believable in her her persona right the um like the i love the dialogue when they're on the date here in the coffee shop and she's just very you know kind of interested but not really you know <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh i think uh you know i think a lot of ladies can probably probably relate to that the the uh but you know the with the anthology format there was two things that kind of struck me um first was you know monster comics going back to the 40s and 50s even up through you know thinking of mystery and horror comics up through the 70s and 80s the anthology was the standard format right mm-hmm. uh that was you get you know a few seven or eight page stories usually three or four of them depending on on the length of the book and depending on the publisher like atlas would do monsters do giant monsters a lot that atlas has this huge roster of monsters the most well-known of course being groot at this point um, whereas other publishers would do more, you know, standard universal type monsters or what have you. So I really liked, I really was attracted to the idea of the anthology because it reminded me of the old monster comics, but it also, you know, lets you explore different avenues and different angles on, on this world. The way I described it was, it was kind of like the new wild west because this was such a, um, you know, a new frontier that the world was in, you uh-huh. know, that, it's been, uh, you know, a couple of decades and we've had these kaiju and mankind has, uh, has not really been successful in repelling the fact that kaiju now walk among them. I, I said, so, um, did, I mean, again, that's, uh, that was kind of the way that it struck me as like the wild west or a brave new world. And, uh, and I really liked that. I just, you know, I, I don't know if, uh, if that was, you know, anything that you were consciously doing or if it was just an examination of how, uh, you know, introducing this new type of super species into the world would, uh, you know, how that would have the ramifications. Yeah, I was, I was interested in kind of looking at it from a very human angle. The, the idea I had for Kim Corgan's story is, is very, um, very grounded. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to kind of t- I made a I made a few rules for myself for for mm-hmm. when I was coming up with the world of Stomped. One of them was no giant robots, yes. um, which which is something that I just thought you know that's a that's a step into a certain type of genre that has been done, uh, you know, a hundred mm-hmm. times really yeah. well. And so I thought you know just just take that off the table and see what I can come up with with just monsters living mm-hmm. in today's world like if monsters started appearing on the planet gradually in the 2000s where would we be at today how would that have influenced um, society pop culture technology science all these things um and i kind of look at it similarly to i, I treat them a lot in the comics as natural disasters like hurricanes or you know these mm-hmm. these right. things that we're seeing 
you know, increasingly every year um, and how, how like we react to that. So even, even the pandemic for the last few years um, has directly influenced some of the stories um, and, and some of the ideas going into like how people would respond to something like this. So yeah. that was as much of a concept as there is one. It, it, it was just what what would this be like for the average person um, who's not, you know, not necessarily the type of character you get the spotlight on in your typical sci-fi action movie or, or daikaiju film. Right. Yeah. So, again, one of the other uh, functions that I find with the anthology format is that you have uh, a bunch of collaborators that you've worked with across the first three issues. So um, why don't you tell us a little about your collaborators? How did you get the opportunity to work with, frankly, a very diverse and widespread uh, group of creators? Yeah, so the, I mean, when I started coming up with the anthology, I started just sending out um, kind of just like cold direct messages to artists that I followed and enjoyed their work on Instagram and Twitter. and I was very fortunate. So for issue one, Andre Diaz, um, mm. he had done a, a picture of a of a giant monster humping a building, which I just <laughs> thought was hilarious. <laughs> and it was sort of the the weird kind of humor, like dark humor that I like, um, just in this one image. So I reached out to him, and he took a big leap of faith with me. I kind of let him know up front, like I've never done a Kickstarter before, I've never self published before. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I would like to be able to pay you, you know, this much as a page rate, but that's kind of dependent on how well the, the Kickstarter does. And so thankfully that first one, I mean, um, so far all of them, because I'm paying my collaborators, what I consider a decent page rate, mm-hmm. um, I've broken even after shipping and, and printing costs, um, which, which is, is great for me that I've been able to, you know, support the artists that have come onto the book in that way. Um, but yeah, so he, he kind of, he kind of jumped in the deep end with me on that first issue. Um, we got, uh, Hassan Atsman Elhao, apologies if I said the name wrong, um, who is now, he's the, um, editor of the Eisner award-winning, um, comics journal panel by panel. He has a YouTube channel, um, called strip panel naked. And he does a lot of lettering, like professional lettering for, you know, uh, real comics, you know, from, from Boom and IDW and other publishers. So um, getting him to work on this book early on, um, I was I was very fortunate that I, I w- had been aware of him through his YouTube channel, and thankfully he was able to fit this into his schedule and has been able to stick with all, all four issues. Yeah, um, I mean, just, just flipping through again that first issue, some of that, there's some great lettering, especially in Blind Date. Um, I'm looking on page two here, the guy hiding behind the uh, counter and it's the real wavy Kim, what are you doing? You know, he's obviously not, not handling it as well as one would hope for this situation. And just to jump back to, to Andre Diaz real quick, you know, he did the lead story in the, in the first issue, which is hybrid theory. And what struck me about that was that it is uh, a, a little cartoony. It has a definite indie comics sort of feel to it. But I, I love his use of lines. There's there's a lot of line. A lot of times you get uh, styles that they, they lean towards the cartoony and it's more of a minimal use of line. Mm-hmm. But he's got a, a lot of nice lines in there. I mean, just flipping through the book, like the um, some of the, the details of, of Madrid. I believe it's Madrid is the setting here. Yeah. In, in flames, all the details in the brick 
on the buildings and uh, on on the the bodies of the the uh, the hybrids. It really is a it does a nice heavy use of line. It gives it a nice tactility and, and texture that's very interesting visually. And the design of the the his kaiju, which uh, also graces the cover, is just a fantastic you know play on the bug monster, right? On on a Kamakuras type of uh, bug monster. In this case, kind of a, a praying mantis sort of sort of motif. So I, um, that one, I said, obviously being the first story, the first issue is the first one I read and it definitely jumped out and it got my interest for sure. Yeah. I gotta say like, um, Andre, I knew this was going to work out when I had sent him the script and some very, very rough thumbnail sketches that I had done. I hadn't, um, I had left it open ended where this would set take place. And, and so he's, he's from Spain. So he said mm. it in Madrid, that was his choice. And then, um, I had drawn the the kind of the roughest in, indication that the giant kaiju in that one had kind of a triangular shaped head and was kind of insect like, and he just sent me this fully finished colored drawing of the mantis, and um, and I was like, that's perfect. Like his his mm-hmm. his design sensibilities, it was like he was just pulling it right out of my brain. Yeah. Um, so even though even though like all the artists who contribute, you know, different styles. Some, some are more similar to mine. Some are more um, kind of European influenced or manga influenced. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that uh, I've, I've tried to kind of create a lot of diversity in the creature designs, but also have some little elements that are reoccurring so that you can kind of see that there might be some sort of connection. Um, you know, not quite sure where they're coming from yet. Not quite sure why they're here but but there's a there's a lot of a lot of unique designs and yet something that kind of holds them together was the idea um and he definitely knocked it out of the park in that first issue and so everyone coming after that it got a little bit easier to kind of hone in on what is a is a stomped kaiju design that kind of fits in this world mm-hmm. uh so yeah, yeah for, it's for been sure. it's been great the the other creator in the first issue is uh, who has a, a two-page short. The end is uh, Matt Strackbean. Uh, again, yeah. apologies if I'm, I'm mispronouncing that. And uh, all I can say is that this is it's uh, the the my note when I was reviewing this was mean spirited in a funny way, and I think that's true of both of the both of the the strips that he does in the first couple issues. It's mean spirited, but in a funny way. <laughs> yeah. So um yeah um so Matt Strackbein he's he's a buddy of mine that we met through the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Mm who have been really supportive of, of my work over the last few years, and they're a really great fan community. Um, I actually met him in person one year because he's um, he, he lived in Colorado at the time, I think, and um, he just moved recently. But he, he came up to Rose City Comic Con, and we chatted, and I was still kind of in the process of putting this together. And I wanted to come up with something to kind of um, – just something that would be a little bit different because in this first issue – the two stories are both very, um, very sci-fi action, mm-hmm. and I wanted something that showed that like this this series could be a little bit more than that. It could be it could go a few different directions. So yeah, he did that short little PSA in the back, and yep. he's going to come back and do another one hopefully for issue four. Oh, um, it's kind of like a nice bookend between the, the four issues. Yeah, and uh, he um, and I think he has one in, in issue two, right? With slice uh, of life. No, that's a different Matt. So that's oh. Math, Matthew Sargent. 
Yeah. Oh, Matt Sargent. Okay. So same, same initials, yeah. Yes, yeah, same initials and same kind of sense of humor. So yes. uh, the uh, again, kind of mean spirited, and, and that one I I will say. So jumping over to, to Matt Sargent in in the second issue, um, the ending of that legitimately had me laugh out loud. I I you know again, it's it's awful. But it's so funny that the the black humor just overtakes all of it at that. Yeah, point. he 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 pitched that idea to me. We had been going back and forth, and I had this idea of um, I call them bunker burbs, but like you know suburbs that were um, planned neighborhoods that had these um, kind of like you know shelters underneath. That, that people could live in if there was a kaiju kind of walking through their, their city. Mm-hmm. And so so he kind of ran with that and k- pitched this really, really dark idea, <laughs> which, I mean, I'll go ahead and spoil it because it's been out for a while, but um, yeah. basically a, a, a pizza shop that's doing deliveries to these people who are still living in their bunkers, and they're using um, ingredients – of things that they find uh, <laughs> that may or may not be uh, something that you would want to eat. Um, yeah. And so he pitched me the idea of the cannibalism and I was like, that's, that's too far. <laughs> and I thought about it and I was like, maybe roadkill, you know, maybe they're making uh, raccoon pepperoni. And then I thought about it a little bit longer. I'm like, no, <laughs> let's just go all in on the cannibalism aspect. Yeah. So, um, that that one was kind of to show, uh, again, kind of the timeline of these stories is a little unclear, and so I kind of imagine mm-hmm. like that's kind of a glimpse at like how bleak things might be getting. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and again, that the the ending gag was hilarious, but I still like they're doing good business. So obviously things yeah. are going okay to, for some people, you know, but. Uh, um, issue two um, also features a couple a couple of other new collaborators, and I'm I'm gonna butcher this name because I know I did when I covered it. Uh, but the story Mass has art by Hugo Feel Permui. Permu? I think so. Yeah, Permoy. Yeah. Permoy. Um, Mr. Not Hugo. Sure. You know, we'll just say say that. Um, and and uh, Mr. Hugo, this this was a. I, this this one again because obviously I read the first one I was very excited went right on to read the the second one and now we've got a sort of grotesque horrific type of of artwork here really uh, the color pops the use of light and shadow I really liked it, this would look just as much at home um, uh, in like a, a straight horror anthology as mm-hmm. it does here and I I think that was again especially for that story for that you know that kind of claustrophobic story that it's paired with. And uh, that has, you know, the, the violence and the sex in it. It's a perfect fit as far as the art. And it, that is that is a, a standout story again. And the art really does a, a great job of conveying the, like I said, the horror of the entire situation. Yeah, the, the kind of the idea behind that was just as simple as um, uh, co-ed the thing, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the basic basic idea of, again, trying to give people different ideas of what kaiju might be. So like this story specifically is not daikaiju. It's right. It's cause it's not a giant monster in the same sense of the other stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the way that it fits in the, the rest of the stories is again, it's very open to interpretation right now. And I, and I like kind of having fun playing with people's expectations and doing something a little bit different. I think that, 
the I really like how the first issue turns out, but I think the first two issues together kind of give more of an idea of the of of what I was trying to accomplish mm-hmm. with this series. Yeah, and I and uh, I I can definitely see that because I I had thought at the same time that the second issue kind of expands the human uh, uh, elements of it, right? And really gets us a better idea of what's being done on different levels. And the second story in the second issue, Might, which is art by Guy Pradell. Um, mm-hmm. Again, very different. You had said some your collaborators had a European influence. I could see a strong European comic style here um, on, on this particular issue. But this one, you know, focusing a lot more on the the human interactions right of the 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 little politics that are still happening even though you know the world is facing this crisis there's still still comes down to who gets credit for what right and you know mm-hmm. uh, who makes what decision sometimes we can't avoid our human nature yeah that one um he had actually done a it's like a five page short that i think was supposed to be in a zine that never got published um, and I was really, I really enjoyed his detailed city landscapes and, um, that was why I reached out to him. And, um, mm, so we're yeah. actually going to include that story that he did because it didn't end up getting published. Um, we're actually going to fold that into stomped and that's going to be one of the backups for issue four. So I'm, I'm excited oh, about that. Yeah. Um, but you can see it on his website already. I'm going to color it. So the original is black and white. Um, oh, cool. but yeah, I had a. That's the that was one that wasn't even a fully formed idea when I I had um, written the script. It was it was originally more like a BattleBots scenario where a bunch of different tech uh, companies were trying to create robots uh, to that could combat the kaiju, and that was sort of me directly addressing why there are no giant robots in the series. It was kind mm-hmm. of like, well, people are going to wonder. Because that's such a, a common um, common aspect. Common trope, of, of, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I was originally going to have a bunch of different robots like fight each other, and then and then it's the unlikely little little robot that that wins. Uh, and then the the story ended up being completely different, and um, and a lot of that was having to just having conversations with Guy and kind of um, adapting it to fit what I really liked about his art. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, his, his robot design in this, I mean, I would never think to do soft limbs the way that he did, but that totally feels more real to me than something that might be a more obvious choice. How they, they kind of have like these, like almost like rubber tire kind of bendy octopus mm-hmm. legs. Yeah. It, it's, it's funny because on the cover to issue two, you've got the, uh, you know, the, the big, the big giant monster who I always thought looked, uh, you know, it's got kind of the, the crocodilian and also kind of like a duck face a little bit. Then you've got, you know, the, the tank with the mass, you almost don't even really notice, like you said, the little, the little bot there, but it's like, he's right there. And you say he definitely has like that, that rubbery sort of tentacle look on him. And he's just as strange as anything else on the cover when you get right down to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I haven't I haven't covered issue three yet on the show, but I do want to give just a little uh, preview. So there is another uh, new name in issue three, and uh, that's Joshua Green, who does the line art for the story called Wake. And um, I thought this was a um, I thought that the combination of of his art with your colors, and again I won't get into the story. It was it was very very bold, you know, kind of quirky 
you know, very different, obviously, from the other collaborators and the other art styles that we've seen. But I thought it, it really stood out, you know. Yeah, that was really fun. Uh, Joshua Green is a friend of mine. He lives up in Portland. Um, so we've actually got to hang out a few times. And he tabled with me at Rose City Comic Con this month. Uh, that's the first time I've tabled at a comic convention. And I got to say, like, I probably would have chickened out and not even done it if I didn't have uh, someone there to hang out with. <laughs> so that was that was really great. Um, I'm, I was really happy with th- that he um, was able to do that backup story in that issue. And, um, you know, I don't have anything locked down yet, but I'm sure we'll definitely collaborate again in the future. Very very cool. You know, the thing about tabling at a Comic-Con, now I say this as a podcaster and I've not done it, but, you know, there, it, it is funny sometimes the connections that you make because um, the uh, the artist Joey Weiser, who did the, he did the artwork for the podcast, Eisner Award nominated uh, artist, has done a lot of different stuff with uh, SpongeBob and uh, some other, uh, you know, licensed stuff, but also, of course, had his series Merman and uh, some of the other all ages books he's done. Him and I met because he was he had a table at Heroes Con, and he had his what he calls the Kaiju Alphabet, where he did an A to Z little sketches of different monsters for each letter of the alphabet. And I happened to see that from across the aisle and started talking to him. And you know now he's you know he's one of my collaborators. So you know it's a it, it's it's amazing the connections that you made. Like you said, you were had your eyes open to the wide world and. You know, it's it, it really is. There's more. I, I try to tell this to people. There's more to comics than just Marvel and DC, guys. There's, there's mm-hmm. a lot of good stuff out there in the in the, in the medium. Um, so um, so we've got the Kickstarter for number four starting. I said very soon after we're recording this. Um, and you, you've given us some of the you know some stuff that we we can uh, kind of expect to see. So what, uh, is there anything else you want to hype that's coming up in the in not only in the fourth issue but maybe for the future of Stomped? Yeah, so uh, the fourth issue is going to be an, one more new to Stomped artist. Dominic Black is drawing one of the stories, and I am um, going to be drawing the second story. And um, this issue is very different. It's definitely more in the lines of some of the backups, where it's it's a little bit more... Um, uh, slice of life human aspect there's still giant monsters but it's it's kind of got a um a different different flavor still to it than than some of the previous issues this uh, issue three was definitely more of the action mm-hmm. issue kind of like the first one and this one is a little bit swinging more into the the horror uh and uh, and a little bit of that um claustrophobia paranoia aspect of things um and it's definitely this one is the one that's like probably the strongest influence of the experience of of the pandemic as well um, oh for sure yeah so yeah I'm, I'm curious to see what people think about it but i um since since it's currently the last issue of stomp that i have planned um i wanted to kind of go all out so i have mm-hmm. some uh, some fun things that I will be hopefully um, rolling out in terms of, of stretch goals and things with the campaign. Mm. Um, but I, I, I'm including... Oh, um, so this one, each issue has had two main 12-page stories and then one backup. In the first issue, it was the two-pager, but in, in issues three and four, it's been six-pagers. So this issue 
has another six-page backup that's drawn by Chris Dore, and then mm-hmm. the um, the story that that Guy had done prior to working on Stomps that he graciously is allowing me to uh, to include in this next issue because I, I I feel like more people need to see this, and um, and then I'm gonna try to cram it with even more stuff, um, maybe more pinups, more artwork. Um, I want to try to find a way to include everyone who's collaborated with me on this series so far. Um, so I'm still, even though it's only a week away, I'm still kind of hashing out the details, trying to figure out what I can, uh, um, realistically do in terms of page count. But Mm. yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see how it does. Um, we've been able to, um, increase our funding with each new campaign, and so I'm, I'm hoping we can do that again on this fourth one. Um, and then in terms of, of the future for Stomped, uh, I still want to get back and do the original story that I had the idea to do um, years ago. Uh, now, where that fits into my schedule, uh, we'll find out. I, I've got... I always juggle a lot of projects at the same time and kind of follow whichever one has the most momentum. Um, but I'm really hoping that I can sit down and, and get that done within the next couple of years. Um, I did my first um, longest graphic novel I've done so far. It's a 60-page uh, Lucha Libre comic Milagro yep. that I did mm-hmm. in 2021. 20, yep. And so I know I can do it. Like, I've, I've done it. I've, I've tackled a 60 page project. I know I could do something of that length and I know how I need to do to get that done. Um, you know, working, working my art schedule around my, my day job. Um, so it's just a matter of just committing to committing to doing it and, and deciding if I want to release it as a mini series or, or get it all done in, in one big chunk. Mm. So that'll, that'll be telling the, basically the, um, the origin story of Kim Corrigan and um you know from from there i have a lot of ideas i have have a kind of a rough outline of how all these stories that have appeared in the anthology could all sort of um the connective tissue could start to be a little bit more obvious how they all feed into each other in this larger narrative so yeah hope, hopefully i'll be able to keep doing this for for years to come um mm-hmm. Kind of just depends on whether or not there's still the the uh, the readers and the the support for it, and because um, I would love to just keep doing this. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so you did mention some stretch goals. Any any hype you want to put out for anything you want to hype that we can look forward to during the campaign? You're going to keep them under wraps. I I want to do I want to do a fold out page. Mm, yeah. Um, I think I think that the, the printer that i they go through they they have advertised that they do them and so i'm thinking about including that as a stretch goal um it would be a fold-out page that has a uh, size comparison chart of all the kaiju that have appeared in the series so far <laughs> so well, that's wonderful. that's the big thing that i'm i'm kind of i haven't i've been mentioning it to my collaborators and they all seem to really like dig that idea so um, yeah it's just a matter of whether or not I can get that get that done um, and and hit that goal. So we'll see. For sure. And I can tell you that Daikaiju fans love to compare how big things are. And I'm not I don't mean <laughs> that as a don't mean that as a pejorative. 
I mean, if they say, hey, this guy's taller than this guy, and this guy weighs more than that guy, but this guy's faster than that guy. We love our monster data like that. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned Milagro, which uh, I backed that. That is a, that is a wonderful uh, OGN. And I, I know you've got some other stuff going on. Uh, what other projects you got going on? That I know you've got, you're doing some, you were doing some work with Webtoon. Yeah, so that's the other project that I started um, kind of on a whim almost. Um, I've, you know, you know, I, I've never really thought I would get into the superhero genre uh, in terms of my creator-owned work. Obviously, if I got an opportunity to work at Marvel or DC, I'd take it in a heartbeat um, just for the experience. But mm -hmm. in terms, I've not, I've never really thought of myself as the guy who wanted to create his own superhero universe. Right. But I saw that Webtoon was doing a contest, um, and the prompt was just an action scene. And, I, and for some reason, um, the idea of doing a superhero story in that Webtoon format, which is so mm -hmm. different than a traditional comic book, seemed yep. really exciting and fun to me. And so, yeah, I started a Webtoon series called Spandex. There's two issues or two episodes up right now. Um, the third episode is completed, but I can't post it until their contest is ended at the end of this month. Mm -hmm. um, and then... I'm hoping to be able to kind of continue that next year on maybe a um, every other week basis. Uh, kind of have to see. I'm still trying to figure out a style that I can draw in that would allow me to produce it that quickly. Yes. Along with other things I'm doing. Um, but yeah, I definitely want to continue that because once, once I started working on it, a lot of ideas that I'd have buried in the back of my head for years. I'll kind of like, yeah. you know, okay, okay. Now I could do this and now I could do that. Yep. It's, it's really just a, a excuse to the thing, you know, embrace the thing that kids love about superheroes, which is that anything goes, yes. you know, is there's superheroes. It's not really even a genre so much. It is like an umbrella under which all genres can crash into each other. Right. And so that's that I'm going to try to have fun with that, where it's definitely got a lot of um, soap opera kind of melodrama in the characters storylines, um, you know, very much in the, the vein of the classic X-Men stories and right. things. I was going to um, say, as one yeah. expects, if one read comics in the 80s and 90s, we, you know, especially team comics, right? We expect mm -hmm. all that interpersonal soapy stuff, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. So that's, that's it. And it's kind of like a, a way to just kind of indulge the stuff that, um, you know, most, most of the ideas that I have kind of, I like to play in different genres and kind of stick to, um, a, a certain kind of tone to, <laughs> I guess, yeah. like I kind of, some, sometimes I guess as a, my writer brain, is different than my artist brain. The things mm -hmm. that I like to write don't always mesh with the things that I like to draw. So this right. um, spandex, the webtoon, is an excuse for me to just draw whatever I want to draw. Right. And and I agree that webtoon format. I've read a few series on webtoon, and I had I'd actually gotten I'd found webtoons like Phoebe um, Nasiza was doing a, a series on there. It was when I first was introduced to it. And then Archie actually has a series called Big Ethel Energy that they've been running for a long time on that. So when you were started posting about it on, on your Twitter, I was like, oh, well, this is a natural fit. Because like you say, I also love the Webtoon format. It's so different 
as someone that grew up reading comics, you know, thinking of a, a single issue comic and how you lay out pages and stuff, but now uh-huh. laying it out vertically, right. Instead of horizontally, yeah. but you still can use that, uh, that, that energy. I, I really like it. And spandex is a lot of fun. And I, I, was, Thank uh, you. I enjoyed that one quite a bit. I, I, you know, I know people think, well, you're just that monster guy, right. Or you're just that war comics guy, right. So I read superheroes too, but you know, so every, I think everybody does to an extent if you're uh, if you're of a certain age, but in any event, all right, well, that's, um, now, now we, we've talked about stomp. We've talked about the, the work. Now we got to get serious. All right. Well, who's your favorite movie monster and your favorite monster movie? So I, I gotta say, like, it's hard for me to pick a favorite because, the, mm-hmm. because I think it's monsters can be so many things. I would say that one of the biggest, earliest influences on me, um, Star Wars, obviously, the the creatures yeah. in the Star Wars uh, films, sure. but Gremlins. Mm. Gremlins is, is something that stuck with me. I used to have nightmares about them. I don't know how oh, old gosh, I was when sure. I saw that first movie, um, yeah. but I just always, always loved the Gremlins, and um, which is, you know, the opposite of Daikaiju instead of giant monster, yeah. tiny little monsters. But um, yeah, that, that one's the one that, like, I keep, I think... You know, I, I would rewatch it through through college and and things, and and it holds up the 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 uh, humor and stuff that I didn't pick up on when I was a kid. You know, it's 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 always fun to revisit something that you have a nostalgia for, and you find out, oh, like I can appreciate this on a different level now. Right. Um. So that that one would probably be a big big one. Um. Mm-hmm. Now, but now in terms of Daikaiju, since I have recently binge watched every single Godzilla film. Every single Gamera film, um, the first uh, I watched Ultra Q in the first season of Ultraman, um, and then a bunch mm-hmm. of others. Uh, I gotta say that um, out of the like the Showa era, uh, Hedra is yeah. one that stands out to me. Um, just because that movie was so bizarre. Yes, <laughs> it's such a. It just watching all those films back to back a lot of them kind of blur together in my mind right but yeah. that one was so different and that monster design was so unique that that one kind of stands out to me um oh, and, yeah. and also anytime a monster transforms like that's always a ton of fun mm-hmm. yeah yeah it, and it's funny with godzilla versus hedra because you know my brother and i we covered that film on on the show and i think we both came to the conclusion that that film had such a poor reputation in this country, I don't know about Japan, but in the in the in the West, it had such a poor reputation for such a long time that now it's really starting to be rediscovered and reevaluated. And you see a lot of people, especially again, uh, maybe uh, newer fans to the genre or even younger mm-hmm. fans, saying, "Wow, they really are, are attracted to Hedra." And the the story in that movie is so. You know, Yoshimitsu Bano, he sticks to his guns, right? He, you know, he, he's not backing off. He's not doing anything, you know, any half steps when it comes to the story that he's telling there. So, yeah, Hedra is, um, you, you can't, I mean, definitely from the unique aspect, but also just, uh, I think Hedra has held up. I think it, it helps that, unfortunately, some of the ecological problems we had in uh, 1971, we're kind of still looking at now in uh, 2022. So I think it makes him, he's always timely, right? So. Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, well, Russ, thank you so much for uh, 
sitting down virtually with me uh, here to talk about Stomped and and, uh, and the upcoming Kickstarter. And uh, while I will definitely put links in the show notes and on my social media to, to the Kickstarter campaign so everyone can go and, uh, you know, click that notified button and be ready to go once it launches. Um, do you want to share where people can find you on the Internet, your, your social media presence or your personal sites? Yeah, um, I have my own website, so it's just www.rossradke.com, R-O-S-S-R-A-D-K-E. Um, I have an online store there where um, after we do finish the Kickstarter for issue four, any extra copies that I have of Stomped will be available through there, and then digital copies will also be available. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And you, you can actually go on there and download the digital copies of issues one and two. Yeah. Um, and I've also posted sometimes some original art and stuff there as well. Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter, and I still post things pretty regularly on Instagram. My Twitter handle is, um, I think it's RT Radkey. I believe um, so. But yeah. yeah, generally, if you just if you just look my name up, it'll it'll pop up. And um, I pretty much post artwork daily. I draw every day. I chip away at the comics I'm working on, but I also give myself other projects to do. Um, right now, I'm kind of kind of lagging behind on this um soup timber daily art challenge yeah. that i created um to give myself a like a kind like a palette cleanser whatever my big project is that i'm working on which right now is the fourth issue of stomped i like to have something that i can kind of switch gears and and kind of do a little bit of something different so right um yep that's that's what i that's where you can find me uh and yeah, I appreciate it. Everyone who's um, supported the series so far. Um, and this is going to be the last opportunity to guarantee you can get print copies. Cause after this campaign, I'm not going to be printing any more copies of mm. the anthology in the single issue form. Right. Uh, probably, hopefully we'll be able to eventually do a collected edition, but that'll be a ways away. Um, and, and digital will be available. But if you, if you got to have your print copy that then this will right. be your last opportunity so um yeah don't don't miss out yeah that was what my situation because i picked up one and two digitally and i liked them so much i think i reached out and i said hey can we get physicals you said well we're gonna do the campaign and you'll be able to pick up the physicals during the campaign for three and that's what i did and uh so i and i said i i just enjoyed them so much i you know i was like i was more than happy to to pay to buy them twice you know to get the digital and the physical on these and like i said i i am you know i'm, I'm not just a hype man. I'm also a fan. I'm I'm very much looking forward to uh, to the Kickstarter for number four as well, and uh, and and seeing what what goodies uh, are therein. Russ, thank you again for sitting down with us. Really appreciate it. And I hope that everybody out there uh, goes checks out the Kickstarter campaign, checks out the online store, and uh, and takes a look at Stomped. Again, I know it's a little off the beaten path, kind of an, an indie book sort of thing, but, you know, uh, and, and Russ, you, you made mention of this, uh, the breadth and width of, of the comic scene. I love anytime I can discover or some, something that's new to me, right, that that's I haven't seen before. And, and for have it to be giant monsters, that's just icing on the cake for a guy like me. So, um, everyone, uh, thank you for listening. I'm going to put, as I said, the links to the Kickstarter campaign and Ross's uh, website and social media in the show notes. I'll put those on my social media as well. So if you follow me on Twitter at El Giacone, you'll be able to uh, to see the, the links there. Um, and uh, this episode, I'm going to port this over to the YouTube channel as well. So if you go and you follow or Destruction Directive on YouTube, you'll be able to find the links there. So um, one more time, thank you very much for sitting down with us, Ross. And uh, we're very much all looking forward to stop number four.
Thank you. Yeah, it's it's a huge honor to me for you to for to cover this series because, like I said, like um, I'm 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 relatively new fan. Uh, I think that I did my homework, uh, not to be gatekeepy or anything, but uh, it's it's nice to know that someone who has been a lifelong fan of the genre, who definitely has uh, knows their stuff, to to uh, find something to love about this and 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 find something like new uh, that means a lot to me. It, it makes it worth 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 doing. So appreciate that. Oh, no problem, man. Always support. Like I said, if you like something, go out there and support it. If you're an artist or a creator that that you like their stuff, support them any way that you can. So, all right. Well, uh, that's all I've got. Again, thank you, Russ, for joining us. We're going to sign off. Uh, Everybody come on back next time. Not sure what we're going to be covering next time because this is a guidance. But uh, until then, keep them stomping. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Daikaiju podcast. Produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at twotruefreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you would like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I try to respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I will read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at 2truefreaks.com. You can also find the show on your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave a review on your podcatcher of choice if you'd like. You can find me on Facebook. Just search for first name Luke, last name E-D-D. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter. Just search for the handle at Ljacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. The theme song for this podcast is Future Gladiator by Kevin McLeod, downloaded from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun here on Earth Destruction Directive. Tune in next time to hear the crusty old podcaster from Oklahoma say, There's a WTF (laughs) moment if I ever saw one.